0: Amen. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a pleasure for me to do this. I, um, <clears throat> I love the book of First Peter. It's, uh, it's really funny to say that because you know it's the Bible and you have to say that you love all of the Bible because it's God's word. But you also have to say you love all of your friends and all of your children equally But we obviously all have favorites. Um, that's not true. It's obviously both of you. You're both my favorite. I'm kidding, it's Ella. Um, <laughs> <coughs> and so, uh, when I, fr- I first Peter, my relationship with first Peter uh, first began. In 2008, it was the first book that I really took apart myself and was like, I studied through it on my own. I wrote down journals and it's really cool. Um, I've got, I've got, it was fun like preparing for this because I have a bunch of little notebooks from 13 years ago where I've got all of my notes. It was really cool, but my memory is so bad that it's been enjoyable to be like, oh wow, who wrote that? That's my handwriting. You know, it's been, uh, so that's been cool. And, but I just, I love the, the book of 1 Peter, especially right now for our church. And we talked about this a little bit last week. La, you know, we've been going through the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, there has been, um, we've been talking about God's people living in exile, right? But in Daniel, it was a literal exile. It was God's, like, j- like chosen race of people, the Jews, right, and they were, they'd been, because of their disobedience, right, because of their idolatry, they had been stripped from their homeland, and they'd been put into Babylon, right, and so we've been talking through what it, what it looks like, especially for Daniel and his friends, because they were God's people living in exile, and we get to see their faithfulness in exile, and it's been cool, because we've been saying all along, well, in a sense, you know, we, need to combat the spirit of Babylon in the culture that we see around us and we see it trying to creep into our own hearts as well and we have to fight against that and, we, and it's cool because we've had a great example with Daniel and his friends on how to do that but now this is really neat that we go into First Peter because First Peter, he is going to, I, I, I refer to First Peter as a manual for exile living. Because in Peter's idea, we are exiles. And now what's really cool is we're gonna see some really deep, rich theological language. And what's really fascinating is that Peter, it's a short book, it's just five chapters, but every little bit of it is just jam-packed. It's so full, it's rich in theology. You will see a lot of Old Testament allusions, a lot of Old Testament parallels. We'll see him take a lot of these Old Testament terms and he'll apply them to New Testament believers. In fact, n- uh, next week, I think, uh, Brody is gonna go through the next passage, probably three through eight, is it three through eight or three through nine? Three through nine, and we're gonna get to see some of these Old Testament pictures that are pointing towards the New Testament believers because he is, he's talking about how Everything in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the New Covenant, in God's New Covenant people. And so now, just like we got to see these Jewish people of that race in exile in a foreign land, what we're gonna get to understand through the book of 1 Peter is that if we're in Christ, that we are God's chosen people. And we have been called to a promised land that isn't physical. It's not a nation, it's not a country, you can't point to it on a map, but it is a heavenly kingdom, and so we are, we are already heavenly beings, but we're living out of place, and this is our exile. In fact, I think that we get to see three different pictures of where our exile comes. One is that we are exiles here on earth. Two is that we're exiles in our actual bodies that our bodies are foreign to us because we've been purchased by Christ's blood. And then three, that this time period, this temporal time period we're going through, this isn't our home either because we are created for eternity. And what's awesome is that he's gonna tell us that our salvation, our future, our eternity is secured with Jesus and that he's guarding us, he's keeping us, and that should fuel us to live faithful here. And so we are citizens of heaven. If you are in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven, and then now you need to be faithful here, this is where it gets confusing, because we need to be faithful here as citizens of heaven, but to be faithful here as citizens of heaven, we need to be good citizens where we are now, in the station that God has called us to now. And and so with me, what I'm gonna do tonight is I wanna give us some just introductory material for the, in the, for the book of First Peter, like who wrote it, to where, when it was written, stuff like that. And then I wanna go through the first two verses, just his introduction. And then I wanna give us some major themes that we need to be paying attention to as we go throughout this and give us an outline, and then challenge us from the book of First Peter. And I'll go and tell you the main point that I think First Peter is telling us that we need to apply today is that we need to put our hope in Christ while standing firm here. We need to put our hope in Christ while standing firm here. And which which is great, again, this is not something new that's novel to this this book of the Bible. This is the theme of scripture. Because even, what did we see for Daniel? Daniel was putting his hope in God while standing firm in the position that God had called him to. And it was, I'm so thankful that, uh, that Braden shared that about serving Because again, we're gonna see that in 1 Peter. He's very, and again, it's crazy. He's focusing on how we serve others here, even though we're citizens of heaven, right? He's gonna say, everything that you've been given to you is a gift that you have, and that you need to steward it well, and the way that you steward every gift that God has given you is you use it to serve other people. Man, that's great. And he's gonna tell us that we do that because that's what Jesus did. And we have been called to be like Jesus. All right, so, oh, and also, so for me also, uh, just my background information, because I've spent so much time studying through this, it's one of those things where like, if you ask Rob about a passage of scripture, he's gonna tell you about that and then automatically he's gonna have a parallel in the book of Hebrews, that's right. That's the way I am with this. I think Spencer probably like Philippians, Brody probably Romans. There's always gonna be a parallel because it's, it's impacted me. And so it's, it's so funny, and you guys will notice this. If you, the more that you spend time studying like one specific book of the Bible and like over and over so that its language gets into your brain, then you'll see parallels with it all throughout Scripture. You'll be like, oh yeah, that's really cool. You know in First Peter it says, that's, that's, so that's the way my brain already works. So this is good for me to give you just an overview. These are the major themes. All right, so, um, so we're seeing right now that he's calling us to be, to, to be faithful, to put our hope in Christ and to stand firm. But let's take a step back, who wrote it? All right, now, the, the, the author of the book of 1 Peter is Peter. I know, you're chuckling because you think it's pretty obvious, it's the first word in the book. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But, uh, what's, but to, to give you confidence in this, a lot of people will try to say, oh no, it can't be Peter. Right? Because they'll look at this and they'll say this book, you guys, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and apparently this is pretty good Greek. You know, for those of us who critique Greek manuscripts, um, this is on the higher level. And so people say, well, Peter couldn't have written this. Right? He was a fisherman. Right? Fisherman. Okay, so we know, but let's look at Peter. Peter was, um, he grew up in a pretty devout Jewish home looking for the Messiah. So, if he's referencing the Old Testament a lot, that would make sense because that's what he and his brother Andrew, right? That both uh, part of the 12 disciples, like they grew up in a Jewish home looking for the kingdom. So if there's a lot of Hebrew in there, that makes sense. But then people will say, well, how could he write on such a, an, such a good level in Greek if he's like a Hebrew fisherman? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, most likely, he grew up in a trilingual culture. I mean, you guys, you guys uh, the reason why Israel had always been fought over and is still being fought over is it's in a really great place geographically. It's in the middle of a bunch of trade routes, right? So uh, when at the time of Peter, he was in a successful businessman in this area, and the language of the culture at that time was Greek, so he probably was pretty proficient in Greek. In fact, he probably spoke Aramaic in his home, and then he probably read a Hebrew Bible. So you've got a guy who probably speaks uh, fluently in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and successful businessmen. But then people will say, oh, but don't we see in, in, the, in Acts, don't they say these guys are uneducated? Do you guys remember this? It's in Acts 4. Now, what's, what's so interesting about this is that it's the, it's the Sanhedrin who they're looking at Peter after he's been preaching and they say, oh, but he's just an uneducated man. But then if you read the rest of the sentence, it's really fascinating because if you go through commentaries, sometimes commentaries just get so um, annoying with silly details. Like you'll read through a commentary and be like, "Well," Uh, They say that it's this person. History and tradition tells us this person wrote it. And then they'll spend a 100 pages talking about different theories on why that person couldn't have wrote it. And and then they'll come back and be like, so we think it was Peter. Um, (laughs) But to give you some confidence in that, this is something I'd never noticed until this week, is that it's it's Acts 4.13, where they talk about the disciples and they say they're uneducated. Well, that's a technical term that means that they're unlettered, that they haven't, been, they haven't grown up in the rabbinic sy- uh, system. So of course, and their opponents, right? <laughs> if someone says something and you're like, oh man, that's a really good point, you say, well, you're dumb, and that's what they're saying. But what's fascinating is you read the rest of the sentence, it says they were astonished at their teaching because they were uneducated. So what does that mean about their teaching? Well, that it sounded educated. In fact, it's at that point that he's just made these huge statements. He had just said that everything that Judaism is pointing towards is Jesus. They say he is the cornerstone that was rejected, and you've rejected him, and they were astonished because he's preaching the Old Testament and applying it to right now, so of course, yeah, they're gonna be astonished and they're gonna say, well, you're uneducated. But that just goes to show, well, Peter probably could have written this. In fact, that's what everyone thinks. There's some people that will say, oh, well, maybe he had, um, at the end of the letter, it says that he sends it along with a guy named Sylvanus, uh, which is an awesome name. And, uh, but Sylvanus, it's clear that he's the one who's carrying the letter. So, so who wrote this? The apostle Peter did. Now, what's, what's awesome about this is that Peter is such a real, is a colorful character, right? I mean, when we look at Peter, Peter is brash, right? He's the guy who who says, no, may it never, you know, Jesus says, wash, you know, you're gonna wash my feet. And he's like, no, you're never doing that. And he's like, yeah, but if you, if I don't wash your feet, I've got no partner. in you. And he goes, well, then wash all of me. You know, it's like, that's, that's the kind of guy he was. It's just, I'm thinking this, I'm gonna say it. He's the same guy that like, Jesus. they're coming to attack Jesus. And what's he do? Pulls out his sword and, tries to chop the guy's head off, misses, gets his ear. You know, I mean, he's just he's brash. And it looks like before before God humbles him, he seems pretty arrogant. Right? But then we see what happens. What's he do? And he's 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 in his pride, Jesus is being taken off to to go to be convicted and crucified. And what's Jesus, what's Peter do? There's a little girl says, wait a second, weren't you with Jesus and a little girl? And he goes, no, that's not me. I tell you, it's not me. Three times he denies them, right? And Jesus told him he would. And then afterwards, after the resurrection, Jesus and Peter have an amazing conversation where we see Peter is so humbled. And the letter that we have, this is written by a man who has been humbled by the grace of God. I mean, it's just, it's filled with it. He says I mean, he says stuff like, if you call on him his Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear in the time of your exile. I mean, he's been humbled. And we see in 1 Peter, it's, there's what's called a high Christology. I mean, he lifts up Jesus from, from the first sentence, he's lifting Jesus up. And so we're getting to see, and, it, and, and, and we know uh, from tradition, Well, we know at the end of John, uh, Jesus tells Peter how he's gonna die. He says that you're gonna have your arms stretched out. And and he says, he tells him how he's gonna die, and we think it was because of crucifixion. But the thing about Peter is he's been so humbled by the grace of God that when they try to crucify Peter, he says, "I, I don't deserve to die in the same way that my Savior did. And so he makes them flip them upside down and crucify them upside down. mean, that's amazing, right? Again, we're seeing a man, he's been humbled, humbled by the grace of God. And that's what we're gonna see as we go through this. So Peter wrote it. Peter, he's, a, uh, he's one of the, he's an apostle. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. A brother of Andrew, and he just left everything, followed Jesus, um, and he probably wrote, and he wrote it to uh, Gentiles. He wrote it to Gentile believers, and we have a map so that you can have a map. It's gonna show up on the screen. There it is. Through the power of technology, um, he mentions, he calls them the elect exiles. We're gonna, again, that's gonna be part of what we're gonna talk about in about seven minutes. But before we get that, he says that they're in the dispersion, and that's right here, and he even says, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, so this is modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to Gentile believers mainly Gentiles, all right, that's really important, because again, remember, or this is a Peter who's been humbled by the grace of God, and he's writing to Gentiles, not Jews, right? these were the, the outcasts who've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, all right, so they're writing here, and he's probably writing from Rome, which is way up there, so he's writing from Rome, he sends the letter with his brother Silvanus to believers in this area, which is in modern day Turkey, all right? We have a good picture for it, because I know that when you read Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, you think, I don't know what that is. Asia seems like a big continent, but this is what they called Asia at that time period. So there we go. All right, now, and he calls them, he calls them the elect exiles of the dispersion. All right, that's really interesting. Now remember, Peter, he had, been, he had been raised in a way to a part of the, in the Jewish culture and so he thought that Gentiles were unclean, right? They were the outcasts. But what's so cool is that even starting in this first line, he is applying Old Testament language to New Testament believers. Because what he's understanding is that we have all been brought together and one in Christ. All right so and he's we're going to see this over and over we're going to see him taking these old testament terms and applying the new testament i've got a couple right here because it's just loaded right in a, in chapter 2 which we'll get to in a month or so he says he's referring to these people who are gentiles and also remember uh, peter's had a change of heart because if you guys remember we went through the book of galatians and in galatians paul had to call peter out because Paul wasn't being consistent in treating Gentiles and Jews like they were part of the same family. Do you guys remember this? And so this is, and he's writing this near the end of his life. Oh, did I say that? Did I say when? I'll get to that. Oh, so probably, now I'll I'll get to it right now, why not? So he's probably writing this from Rome somewhere between 61 and 63. All right, 61 and 63, AD 61, the year of our Lord, 61 through 63, so this is near the end of his life and we know that he's had a huge change of heart because he now sees Gentiles as part of God's people. Look at what he says, and there's a, he goes on a rant in uh, two, four through 10 where he refers to them as being built up as a spiritual house. Do you know what the spiritual house he's referring to is? The temple. The church is the temple. And what, makes the, what made the temple special as a building? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's saying they are a spiritual house. They are a building filled with the Holy Spirit. That's huge, right? They are a holy priesthood. They're offering spiritual sacrifices. He even says that they, because they are in Christ, are a chosen race, He uses the same term, race, that would have been used to talk about the Jewish people, but he's now elevated it to a spiritual level. Jews, Gentiles together, if you've been purchased by Jesus, you are sons and daughters of God. You are God's family, right? He says that they're a chosen race. They're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He calls them a people for God's own possession. That is straight up out of the Old Testament, they're the people that he's purchased. And then he, he's always throwing like little uh, nods of the hat to the Old Testament. He says, he says once you were not a people, but now you're you you God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Okay, we see that and it kind of seems like a poetic way of saying something really good, right? They weren't Christians and now they are. But he's going even deeper than that. He's actually, in saying this, he's saying this is a, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that, he, that God had made to Hosea. You guys remember that? Hosea, remember God called Hosea to marry a prostitute and he had kids and he named the kids, he named them not my people and no mercy. And he said in Hosea, he tells us there's going to be a day, this new covenant that is coming when those who are not my people will be called my people and those who have not received mercy will have mercy. And he's saying that these Gentiles are the fulfillment of that. Isn't that awesome? What an amazing, I mean, he is is recognizing that in Christ that the the wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down and that there is one race and it is God's people. It is a spiritual people who are from the same country that's not here. It's in heaven. Amazing. All right, so that's who he's writing to where they're writing, we don't need that anymore, when, um, oh yeah, and so I said AD 61 through 63, that's when we think that he'd been in Rome for a while and he probably, he died sometime, uh, tradition will tell us, sometime between like 64 and 67. So he wrote this maybe five years before he passed away or he was b- before he was martyred and he and the last thing he did was probably, he probably wrote Second Peter really close to the end of his life. He even says, he hints at it in Second Peter, my time is almost over, right? Now, <laughs> some people will say he talks a lot about persecution. He talks a lot about suffering. Because First Peter, again, I mean, suffering is, we're gonna get to learn a theology of suffering from Peter. And he, we're gonna learn a theology of suffering where it should be that suffering is part of what it means to be living in exile. And I think we're, we're going to see it, the same thing, on earth, in the body, and in this time. And that that's part of suffering. Now, some people will say that there wasn't an empire-wide persecution until after Peter was dead, so Peter couldn't have written it. Well, that's true. There wasn't an empire-wide thing, but we know that there were a lot of smaller, um, localized persecutions. We don't have to look any further than the book of Acts. Remember, when Stephen is martyred, there began a great persecution in Jerusalem. Right So we know that there was persecution there, and let's not forget Paul. right? Paul was a persecutor of Christians. So to say that Peter didn't live at a time when there was universal persecution, well, that's silly. there was already persecution all around. There's persecution from the civil governments, and there's persecution from Jews. So there's persecution everywhere, and Peter is familiar with that. Peter's familiar with that. In fact, at the end of the book, he'll say. I mean, you know your brothers throughout the world are experiencing suffering. Everybody, it's happening everywhere, which again is good for us to think about, right? Because for us in America, we, this suffering that we experience, we don't experience the suffering that they had in the first century. Not in the sense that the government is trying to kill us or that there are people who are upset because of our religious views and wanna kill us, but we do experience a different type of suffering that he's gonna talk to us about, and that the the remedy for it all is the same, is to set our hope in Christ and to stand firm, regardless of what type of suffering is, because he's even gonna tell us that the sufferings that we experience are also temptations to sin, and that's something that every one of us can understand. All right, so that's the introduction. Now, let's look. At our, at our text for tonight, I wanna to go through uh, one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is a mouthful. I mean, every, we, so, If we're gonna do this well, we should probably stop and think through every word. Great. I'm glad you suggested that, because that's what we're gonna do. So Peter, and again, look at the humility and the Christ exalting, even the fact that he uses the name Peter. I know, are you, I'm not, I really am not trying to read too much into every word, but you guys know that when he was born, his parents gave him a name. Which was? Simon. Simon, right. Who gave him the name Peter? Jesus, right? Even in this, the fact that he has changed his name—he's introducing himself. I'm Peter, right? Because Jesus gave him that name, right? And he calls himself an apostle. He says, "An apostle of Jesus Christ." Now, the word apostle—it um, literally means to send out, or someone who has been sent out. All right, and and it can be used for a lot of things. It can either be used for a messenger or what we see here is I'm, I think that he is calling himself the apostle as in that is an office of the apostleship that he has, that got, that Jesus Christ has made him an apostle and that that is a special office with the authority of Jesus. The reason why I say that's two twofold. One is because we do know that Peter was one of the 12. right? He was one of the 12 and then we had um, Judas and then they voted in Matthias and then we had like one who was born at the wrong time, Paul, all right? And so I'm saying that he would, he, would, he would identify himself as that apostle given that authority by Jesus. But then also, when we look through the New Testament, anytime that a, there's a distinction between apostle used in the office and apostle when used as, as a messenger, and it's when it has of Jesus Christ, when it says apostle of Jesus Christ, it's always referring to the office of apostleship. And so, but again, this is still exalting Jesus, because Jesus is the one that called him Peter, and Jesus is the one that sent him out. So when Peter is writing this, he's doing so with the authority of Jesus, right? That's a big deal. All right, so so uh, an apostle, then he says to the elect ones, all right, all throughout Scripture, God has chosen for himself a people. In the Old Testament, he chose the Jewish people for no reason other than that's what he wanted to do. And that's when, when God said, Abraham, I'm picking you, I'm gonna make a nation out of you, it wasn't because of any good that Abraham had done. And in the New Testament we see that God chooses his people, he elects his people, he, they are his chosen ones, and it is because of God's divine ordination. It's not because anything that we could ever do Man, I'm, I, got, I was moved when we were singing divine exchange, right? Because what did we do to gain salvation? Nothing. What could you do to gain salvation? Nothing. The only way that you can have salvation is if God saves you. And that's the language we always use, right? No one ever says, oh, and tell me about the time that you saved yourself to eternity in heaven. No one says that, right? Because we know that's something that God does because on my best day, apart from Christ, I would be a blasphemer. That's the best I could do on my own. And he'll even go into detail after this. and Further on in chapter one, he'll say that God has caused us to be born again by his grace because there's nothing we could do about it. So he's, he's calling these people, you are the chosen ones of God, you are elect. He says that you're elect, and he says you are God's chosen ones, and then we're gonna see, he's got, my, uh, when I, I get really, I'm just gonna tell you this, I get really nerdy when it comes to like New Testament books, specifically like the letters, because what, what I like to do, and this is just me, other people think this is silly, I like to diagram sentences, because it helps me make a picture Of what's happening, and so when we see, he he says that, I know, sorry, I know this. I just like it. It's like a puzzle, and I gotta put it. What's oh look, and then for me, it gives me a visual picture. A lot of people do different things. They do like tracing, or like Brody will have symbols that he puts in his Bible that helps him highlight things me the best way that my brain works for this is diagramming sentences there you go I'm embarrassed but that's the case and uh, so when he calls them, he calls them, um he calls them he says to the ones who are elect and he says that they're and then he calls them sojourners and then he and then off of elect there's three different prepositional phrases that we're gonna talk about in a minute all right so man it's embarrassing all right so but before that he goes and he calls them exiles, that these are the elect exiles, they're chosen and that they're exiles. And we're gonna see through the book of First Peter, this is the theme. Everything we see from here, it, the, the theme is that we are exiles, that we are, not, we are not, this is not our home. We are not living for this home. This, our bodies are not our eternal home and this time is gonna pass and we're called to eternity. So he calls them exiles. Um, now this, what's fascinating is this word exile is only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here and he uses it again in chapter 211. And uh, we're, so in, when here we see it, wait, where am I at, yeah, here, <laughs> Um, he's pointing out that we're chosen to salvation as God's chosen people. This is an elect to salvation, and that the that that we are these are the elect exiles. Um, and now, uh, we're, remember that we're not talking about exiles literally. That we are sojourners here because we have been called to a different place, and that and then we see in chapters two eleven he calls them again exiles. But here's I think it's exiles in their own body. He's because he's talking about how. You no longer have to live," and he says. As sojourners, in exile, "As sojourners and exiles." Whew! That was, it's hard to say that quickly. Um, he says, "We no longer need to live by things that characterize the world." Right? Don't he says, "Don't conform any longer to the passions of your flesh." Right? You don't have to do that. But that's where we're going to feel that tension because. We feel that in our own body we have desires of our flesh, whether it's pride, greed, lust, anger. These are desires in our flesh that we have to abstain from those desires. Why? Because this isn't our home. The thing that's causing that pride, greed, lust, envy, that's not your home. That's not what you've been called to. And then we see the third time that this is, is used is actually in the book of Hebrews is in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I, I'm gonna read a couple passages in Hebrews chapter, I'm gonna read Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 through 16, and then 32 through 38, because the way that the author of Hebrews is describing this is exactly what we're gonna see in 1 Peter, but, and he's gonna describe the Old Testament exiles who realized that this world wasn't their home, that they were called to something more, they've been given promises that we now get to be the beneficiaries of. And so that's what Peter's, what Peter's talking about. So let's look here in uh, Hebrews 11. Uh, I'm gonna read 13 through 16. He's, and this is from that, uh, we call this like the hall of faith. It's when he, we get to see all of these godly, faithful examples. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers. And here's our word, exiles on the earth. Isn't this awesome? This is what, this is the idea of what it means to be an exile here is. This is what Peter is calling us to. And again, I'm gonna read in Hebrews 11 verse 32 because it's just really, really good. <clears throat> it says, what more shall I say? Others suffer, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into, They were killed with a sword. They went about on skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Look at this. Of whom the world was not worthy. What Peter, Peter has this same thing in his mind that this is not the world we should live for, this world isn't worthy of us because we have been filled with the Spirit of God. We are eternal beings. This, This is grass. You know what Peter says about the grass? It's gonna fade away. It's gonna fade away. But we have God's eternal word which will last forever that lives inside us. He even says it's been implanted in us because this world is not worthy of us. So why are we giving it all of our attention? Why are we giving it all of our value? Why are we finding identity in this? That's what Peter's gonna challenge us with, because this isn't for us. If you're finding your source of joy, of happiness, of of being, of identity in material things, it's gonna fade away. Rock and I were talking about this yesterday. We are talking about how you know, it's so common for people to put so much of their identity into their children. <laughs> you know, it's uh, where whether you're like, it's, I'm a soccer mom, or you're know, like, we do this, or for Rock, you know, Rock's big into classical conversations, and she's just talking about how she's looking online and like, there are all these people. I mean, it's summertime. Why are they focusing on homeschool stuff? Get outside. And she was like, you know, that's not where my identity's found. And I mean, for, for parents who put their, I mean, you see it happen all the time. When people experience like the empty nest syndrome, where all of a sudden their children are not in the home anymore and they're, sh- they're, they're rocked, it's because they put their identity in their children for the past 20 years and then they don't know what to do with it. That's just a temporal example. If you're putting your identity in something else in this world that's going to fade, That's where your identity will last. That's where your hope is. That's why Peter tells us we've been called to a living hope. And not just a living hope, but a hope that lives eternally. Because we're not called for this world, we're called for something greater. (laughs) So then he says, I don't even, I've lost where I was. Oh yeah, there we go. We're talking about we're we talking about exiles? Oh, elect? Yes. I've got it now. I just read Hebrews. It was awesome. Okay. Then he refers to them as the dispersion. And now this is where I disagree with the translators in the ESV, because in the ESV, if you notice if you have an ESV, it capitalizes the word dispersion, and I don't think he's using it in the technical sense because the dispersion in the technical sense is what we would talk about the people that were left in Babylon, you know after, um, after they started going back to Jerusalem, uh, God's people had been taken into captivity, and some of them just never went back. They never went back to Jerusalem, so they refer to them as the dispersion or the diaspora, if you've heard of that word, and James and the, the letter to James, he's writing to the Jewish tribes in the dispersion. but what I think Peter is doing is he's doing, this is another one of those, just a, 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 a turn of phrase and a tip of hat to where he's saying, you are in the dispersion, but not like the Jews in the dispersion. You're Gentiles who you've been left here on earth. You've been dispersed throughout earth. And in specifically, they had been dispersed in Asia Minor, but so they're part of the dispersion. And again, this is they are God's chosen people. And again, we can apply that to us. We are in the dispersion. Why are we in the dispersion? Because this isn't our homeland. We've been spread out from our homeland, but we have that's where our eternity is. And it's secure there in the hands of Jesus. All right. And then he says this. He says that they've been chosen. And so underneath elect, remember I told you, there's these three different prepositional phrases. And so the, the way that we should read it when we're breaking it down, is we'll say that we, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, well, that's awesome. Let's think through this. What does that mean? If you've been elect, chosen, because of the foreknowledge of God the Father, we need to understand that this isn't just like He knew what you would do one time in the future that God set back and was like, well, I wonder who all is going to believe in me in one day, in 2,000, 3,000 years from now. No, this is not a knowing about, this is a knowing. This is a knowing beforehand that God knew you beforehand. I mean, that's the way that Paul describes it in Galatians, right? You know, he had rejected, he would rejected God, but at the right time, at the right time, God saved him. And so it is with us. That you, if you're in Christ, you rejected God, you were running from Him. And because God knew you beforehand, He chose you in Him. And and now, you're chosen by who? God the Father. That means that you now have a new daddy. God is your Father. If you're in Christ, he is your father. And look at this. This is just, again, I'm saying that he's just beautiful in the way that he's just packing this in theologically. He says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You've been chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. So we've got the Father and the Spirit. He says, you're chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. That seems a little confusing, but what what he's he's talking about is upon conversion, you've been made holy. How amazing is that? Why, why is that? Well, because of the divine exchange, because you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's what you've been purchased by, and so that is your reality. Oh, so if you're here and you're a believer, then your home is in heaven, your eternity in heaven, and God has already raised you up in holiness. And so now as exiles we live in that holiness. So when we talk about sanctification, we're usually talking about it's a process of sanctification, but it's a process about making you in reality who you are already in Christ. Is this, and who does this? The Holy Spirit. And our responsibility is to live with this living hope, Putting our hope in him. Living as citizens of heaven. So that means the, not, follow, not following the passions of our former ignorance. Because he who called us is holy, so we should be holy. You see that? He's our father and his spirit is inside us. He's made us holy and now we live that out. Is that hard? Yes. Why? Because we're still on this earth, we're still in this body, and we're still living in this time. That's why it's hard. That's why the exile is difficult. But what we're gonna see is that Peter is gonna get us to reorient the way that we think about suffering because suffering in the eyes of Peter leads to glory. And so he'll tell us over and over, you're suffering because you're a Christian? Good because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He'll say, you're suffering because you're a Christian, you're doing what is right? Yeah, you've been called to that because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example that you could follow in his steps. You see that? We have a a jacked up understanding of suffering. We think, oh man, I'm suffering, woe is me. No, you're suffering. And for most of us, it's not a physical suffering. It's not like someone's trying to kill me. It's, I'm dealing with my sin. You're suffering because the world is appealing to you? Yep. Jesus has already done that. He left you an example that you can follow in the steps. When he suffered, right, he didn't threaten. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But what did he do? He continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's the example that we follow. What is that? To trust in Jesus. We trust in him as he trusted in the Father. He's already walked this way for us and your suffering leads to glory. In fact, he'll even say this, I'm getting ahead of myself but I'm running out of time. He says your suffering is only a little while. He said, you you know, your, your brothers and sisters throughout the whole world are suffering and after a little while, I mean, isn't that crazy? Now, for me and you, my struggle with sin, it's not really like, I'm not dying, no one's trying to kill me. He's talking to people who are dying, who've had friends die. Think through that. You're talking, the guy writing it is about to get, within five years of writing, this is gonna be crucified upside down. And you know what he says this is? He says this is just a little while. He said this suffering's just gonna be a little bit compared to the eternal glory that's gonna be given you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, he himself will confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you see that? Yeah, is this gonna be hard? Yes, but at the end, the Father himself will confirm, strengthen, and establish you, which is why we give him all praise, all glory, all honor. That's awesome. Right, so this is how, this is what he's, he's telling us to live. He's chosen us, okay, so in the sanctification of the spirit, he's gonna talk about this all the time. He's gonna talk about holiness. Our lives should be lived in holiness because we've been purchased by Jesus and we've been called by God who's holy. So you be holy. He'll even say, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with that same way of thinking, right? Christ suffered in the flesh, so think like him. Arm yourself with that same way of thinking. That's awesome because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, not for human passions, but for the will of God. That's what exile living is supposed to look like. Don't be, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening, right? Man, this is really hard. Yeah, it's, hard. it's difficult. Uh-huh, don't, you know, don't be surprised at that. He'll even say stuff like, it needs to happen first in the church. It's time to begin at the household of God. So don't be surprised, but reorient your mind that when, he, when suffering, in Peter's mind, in the economy of heaven, of heaven, suffering leads to glory. All right, I've skipped ahead. Oh, I, the last thing. We've been chosen for sanctification there we go. That's the process is this life, that sanctification. If it's hard, if it's difficult, keep stumbling towards Jesus and He will make you holy as He is holy. He's already made you that positionally. Now we live it out practically. And He says, and we've been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. right, this could be be a parallel to uh, in Exodus 24, the confirmation of the covenant with the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice, but we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And we've been called to his obedience. That's what we've been called to. So he says we've been called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and for obedience and this covenant relationship with Jesus. In that, I mean, it's awesome. He found a way to bring every person of the Trinity into his greeting to us because of the work that has been done by Jesus on our behalf, right? And he's made us like Him. And then let me go through real quick. I'm going to go over just uh, a quick outline, and then we'll look for a couple other themes, and then we'll try to see what can we learn tonight from First Peter. We're going to this. Uh, the way that I'm 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 taking an outline from Tom Schreiner because he's been studying the Bible longer than I've been alive. And, uh, and he says this, that we have this opening and then we've got that we're called to salvation as exiles. Called to salvation as exiles from chapter 1-3 to two ten, Called to salvation as exiles, number, and then we have after that, living as exiles to the glory of God in a hostile world, right? We've been called to salvation as exiles and then we're t- we're, this is how we live as exiles, um, to bring glory to God in a hostile world and then the last, uh, that's uh, 2.11 2, through 4.11, and then 4.12 through 5.11 is persevering as exiles and suffering. I mean, those are the, th- and, and we're seeing it, right? Already, we're in, in the first two verses, he's trying to set us up for all of these themes, right? With this idea, of we've got suffering that leads us into glory. We need to be, pay attention to that. We're gonna see this over and over, that it's gonna be difficult to be a Christian it's, it's, we're, it's, it's gonna be filled with suffering, but that's because this isn't our home, we're living for another home. So be looking through that. Um, also, he's gonna talk to us about uh, the work of Christ, that we have been born again, that everything changes. We've already got it here, in the Father, work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, he's gonna go, we'll see it next week, we'll see it again in chapter two, that God has caused us to be born again, and that's what makes us different, because we are a different people. Right, and then we're gonna see his challenge to us is that each one of us is called to be faithful to God wherever we are. Because how are we supposed to live as exiles, as citizens of heaven? It's by being faithful in whatever it is you're called to now. He'll even go into detail. Let's talk about servants and slaves. Well, how does a slave live as a citizen of heaven? By being the best slave. Isn't that crazy? Well, he's already in a broken, fallen situation, right? And he'll even say this. This is what's crazy. He'll say, if you're a slave and you're being beaten for doing good, what does he say? Break free, run away? No, act like Jesus, because that's what happened to Jesus. Whoa, it's again that idea that suffering for God's glory. And then he'll say, what about, and then he'll say wives. Wives, how do wives live as good citizens of heaven? By being really good wives. Yeah, but what if my husband's a jerk? He'll say, well, maybe the way that you live your life will call your husband to faith in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And then he says, husbands, what do you do? Be the best husbands. And then he's like, and then everybody, live lives like Jesus that are characterized, and these, this is what we'll see over and over, we'll see, we'll see holiness, live lives of holiness. We'll see that we need to love well. At one point, he even says, above all, love one another, because love covers a multitude of sins, and that we need to live our lives in holiness, and it needs to be characterized by this hope in Christ. So what does that mean? All right, so as we, as we get ready to do this study in First Peter, we need to realize that we are also the people that he's, that he's writing to. In fact, next week, it's super cool, we're gonna get to see that Peter is saying that all of the Old Testament was written to them, right? The people that got the Old Testament, they didn't understand it. It's like they were looking into to try to figure out what was happening, right? He says, it's for you, and we'll say that. It's for you, too, and for me. This was written for us. If you're you're not a believer, then this is a call, to confess, repent, and believe in Jesus. If, If everything you have to live for is just material that's gonna fade away, then so will you. You have no hope. If you're putting your trust in this world, it's gonna die. And you'll be separated from God eternally. If you feel if you're a believer and you're saying, man, it's just tough, this is for you. Trust in God, right? Some of us, it, our life has not been very easy. In fact, he, even, he tells us that we need to live our lives in such a way that we're always prepared to give an answer for people when they ask us about the hope that we have. You know what that means? That if you're God's chosen person, you need to be living out loud, people need to see you live and then you say, you have hope. What is this hope that you have? Where is that coming from? How are you living with hope? It seems, I mean, look at the news. It seems bad. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. You know why? Because my faith is not in this country. My faith is not in our politicians. My faith is not in this economy. I have a living hope. Because this is gonna fade away. It's gonna die, it's gonna rot. All flesh is like grass, is what he'll say. But we're living for hope. We're living for a hope that's eternal. And so that's, if I was gonna summarize uh, First Peter with two in two different uh, verses, one is one thirteen, where he says that we need to set our hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to us. Set your hope fully on the grace that 's going to be revealed to us. He even says that i didn 't go into it completely. you know the last line is may, "May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter loves grace and peace in fact he he opens and he opens and closes the book with grace and peace he we 've got grace and peace here and he the last thing he says is, may the peace of Christ be with you. He said, we've got, and then we've got grace here. And he says, I've written to you to declare that this is God's word that to us. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So for, no matter where you are right now, we have to re- reorient the way that we think in a heavenly way. And we need to set our hope on Jesus and stand firm. That's the message that we need to take with us from 1 Peter, and that we're gonna get to unpack over the next couple months. So let me pray for us, and then we're gonna respond and worship together through song. Gracious Father, I wanna thank you for the opportunity to get to look into your word. Thank you for how you've preserved it for us. Thank you that even though this was written by a fisherman 2,000 years ago, that every word of it applies to our lives today. And we know that that is only possible because of the work of your Holy Spirit. I do pray that you'll challenge each one of us to apply this. I pray that we will reorient our lives in a heavenly way, that for, for those who are here who have been living for things that perish, that fade, that you will call them to yourself in salvation. And for those of us who are your children who are so easily turned away, I pray that you'll help us to understand what really matters in life, I pray that you will reorient our lives to what it means to suffer for your glory, what it means to follow you and put everything else aside for your glory. We pray it's in the name of Jesus, amen. amen.